Muriel. Can you pass me the cigarettes? You looking for the cigarette? Yeah, the last one. I see it in the pack over there. Honey, if you're not careful, I might just beat you to it. Oh, sister, come on now. You know the wind in my stoma carries me to victory every time. Honey, if I put my finger in that stoma, you ain't going nowhere. Oh, you wouldn't be the first, sweet cheeks, and I guarantee you, you won't be the last. Watch the breakdown. Grandma, get out of here. Come on, we're recording a podcast. God damn it, Denise. What are you thinking barging into the recording studio like that? What the hell is going on? Welcome back to the Breakdown Podcast. I'm Brett Holden. I'm joined by Brendan Escott. Um, Have uh, your good friend Kyle Pouncey on the show tonight. Uh, Played for the Wichita Thunder in the ECHL uh, for a little bit before this whole COVID-19 situation hit. And uh, we have a really cool conversation with Kyle. Yeah, one of my lifelong best friends. Excited to get him on the podcast for the first of what we hope to be many appearances. Um, Interesting story en route to the ECHL, and then he gets there, and as quick as it all happened, it gets ripped away by the pandemic. So we're going through uh, some of the people that we know have been touched uh, hard and directly by the COVID pandemic. And again, we don't want to belabor that point throughout every episode of the podcast, but it's kind of inescapable right now. So we'll get uh, insights from the long journey through the junior A circuit in Canada, down through NCAA hockey up to uh, professionals. And it's actually the Oilers organization. So for our fans here in Edmonton, that should be an interesting one for you. Absolutely. But first, uh, we're going to start instead of on the sheet of ice, we're actually going to start on the diamond that includes shale. Hernandez, right center field. Unbelievable. And an opening day to remember at the ravine. The MLB and the MLBPA came to an agreement earlier on on uh, Thursday night uh, stating that uh, the draft will be shortened to five rounds as opposed to their normal uh, 40-round draft, which is, I mean, (laughs) absolutely There's nothing normal about a 40-round draft. That is preposterous to begin with. Like when you're picking guys from high school in the 38th round, you're just like, well, maybe <laughs> it's just like, maybe we should cut this short. But I get it, too, because your your farm systems are so, so, you know, adequate in, in baseball, too. Right. Yeah. There's like what, like seven levels of, of baseball before you get to the pros, probably more low A, high A, advanced A, minimal A, lowercase A, uppercase A, triple A, double A, three A, double D, all that stuff. Wait, what was that last one? Triple A. I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, also in the announcement, uh, the international signing period, which uh, for most of you guys, most fans will uh, be known, will know this uh, kind of signing period for would be when uh, the the Blue Jays obviously signed Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Swing and a drive. Get up, ball. Get out of here. And God. A two-homer night for Vladdy Jr. That will be pushed back to January 2021. Um, kind of interesting about those um, is that it's it, it. Those are the prospects, right? Those are the kids who are trying to develop, who are trying to get get up into league, and uh, it gets pushed back for them. So I'm not sure. For me, I feel like it could be a little better for the players' de- development on the field, but. When a player has so much momentum going into a signing period and it just it's all of a sudden pushed back, it's kind of more difficult for a player to get back on track that way. I think you're right. I think the the players are going to benefit from this and teams that have a lot of players on the cusp of stepping into the major leagues, teams like the Blue Jays, teams like the Padres, uh, teams like the Chicago White Sox, where you've got some guys right at the top of the the MLB pipeline, top 100 prospect list. You know, these are going to be stars. And now instead of having to finagle too much with the service time, these guys get extra time to mature, develop. And if they were going to need four months to get ready and get up to MLB speed, well, that four months is eclipsed and they haven't lost any any time so now you got nate pearson starting 
quote unquote opening day for the Blue Jays, that's that's a better look than it would have been three months, four months prior. Now, I do want to touch on uh, Nate Pearson and and that in just a little bit. Uh, But first, um, one last thing from the agreement that came out on Thursday night. Um, players who were slated to become free agents in the winter, so guys like Mookie Betts, JT Realmuto, um, will still become free agents in the winter, even if the MLB does not have a season this season. So what does that mean for a team as I mentioned, I'm a Dodgers homer, but they obviously did get the biggest fish in the sea with Mookie Betts this year. So what what happens to an agreement like that when between Boston and, and, and Los Angeles? And obviously, as this trade progressed, the Angels, the Twins, right? You, you know, this this affected more than just the Dodgers and the, the Red Sox. It's something that they're going to have to think long and hard about, and they've got plenty of time to do so, but it's still an asset for the Dodgers. There was still assets exchanged if you really want to break it down. So somebody like Alex Verdugo is probably a better example, and it's developing under a different team system like that's already sort of tainted what the Dodgers have given away you know what I mean so the Dodgers are now going to have x amount of time uh, with Mookie Betts as their property to work on a, a contract extension rather than having him hit the open market which I think is the most likely scenario and they're one of very few teams who are going to be able to pay him the price tag that he requires as we're thinking probably up to upwards of 400 million dollars for Mookie Betts in his prime worth the is anybody worth that much money individually i i personally do not believe so uh, unless you know you're talking about curing cancer or whatever but but he's going to get paid that and i think the dodgers already have a good shot at being able to well, do yeah it. you just said it right there too i think it kind of comes down to who's going to be able to pay him and a team like i don't know the the arizona diamondbacks may not necessarily be able to or you know so i think i think the Dodgers might still be that top team. And I think they, they would have been in, in the f- winter, I guess, anyways, with Mookie Betts, depending of course on how this season went. But uh, yeah, that, that'd be a tough, tough kind of uh, pill to swallow for the Dodgers and their organization too. Here's something else to consider. Ross Atkins, the general manager of the Blue Jays was proposing, proposing, playing that 162 game schedule, but with the twin bill, doubleheader seven inning games which they have played in the minor leagues for quite some time I imagine that's a similar format to what you might have played growing up playing ball Um, what do you think about that and how do you think that would play in the major league because the idea of that would be to not burn out the pitcher's arms well that was kind of the first thing that came to my mind was that it felt or that feels very tournamenty very much um, kind of thrown together and The thing with a nine inning game and a seven inning game is that they're totally different games. The way that you approach it as, as uh, a manager, as a player is totally different. Um, All of a sudden your, your five innings as a pitcher, your six innings as a pitcher gets cut down to three, maybe four. If you're throwing well, then you're looking at, at the bullpen, right? So I think it's a totally different game. It's a totally different game for, for players to get, accustomed to especially the older players too, the guys like the Nick Marcakis is the, you know, the guys who have been in the league longer where the guys who are coming up, just coming up like, like uh, uh, Dakota Whitley are coming in who have played those recently enough. Right. But those older guys have been playing in the league for so long. They're used to nine innings and being at the park for five hours straight. I got to cut you off. Who's Dakota Whitley? Dakota Whitley, pitcher. Oh, duh, Forrest Whitley. Sorry. <laughs> Run, Forrest. Well, here's the other thing is, is once upon a time, I, I did the broadcasting for uh, the TRU Wolfpack baseball team one season, and they did those nine innings, excuse me, nine innings followed by seven innings or vice versa. I mean, that that's a full day at the ballpark. So for a major league team to do that, you're asking a lot of fans to either – you know, take time off work in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day to go watch a game or 
if you're going to make a day of it, now you're spending 12 full hours at a ballpark. And it just, it seems like logistically a lot of things would have to align in order for them to go take that drastic of an approach, I guess, like Shapiro or pardon me, Ross Atkins was talking about. True. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I did mention I did want to talk about Nate Pearson just a little bit, just in regards to uh, uh, a little bit more on how these younger players will be affected. Um, first of all, I think it's crazy that Nate Pearson is going to be the the starting pitcher on opening day for, for the Blue Jays. It happened quick, didn't it? I mean, he always had the arm talent from what I've read. And uh, and all of a sudden, when you start seeing 102 miles per hour consistently on a radar gun, I suppose you shoot up uh, in the opinions of the scouts. So this team hasn't really had a true ace, in my opinion, since Doc Halliday got traded away in, for 2008 or 2009. You, what about Rick Rowe? Don't talk shit about Rick Ricky Rowe, Romero. Oh, get the fuck out of here with Ricky Romero. R.A. Dickey. Even if Noah Syndergaard was still a Blue Jay, I'll almost promise you if you were to travel back in time and that trade was never made, that Noah Syndergaard wouldn't have been an ace for this club. I so I agree, yeah. This is an opportunity... If everything goes well, the thing that I'm worried about for Nate Pearson, to be honest with you, is whether his arm is going to hold up because you throw that hard. And he's a beefcake. He's 6'6", 245, if I'm not mistaken. But that's still, that's got to be a lot of wear and tear on the shoulder and elbow. Well, we talked about, too, the uh, um, Tommy John surgery, too, last episode. So, I mean, I'm sure if he hasn't already thought about it, it will be... uh, We'll be coming down the pipeline for him soon too. And then that's, that's the league or not the league. Cause I don't want to get back into that conversation, but that's, that's the blue Jays in themselves. You know, their, their third baseman's how old is he now? 21, you know, uh, Kevin Biggio is, is young in that infield. Uh, Bo Bichette's young in that infield. Who's their, who's their shortstop? Bo or who's their uh, second baseman? Sorry. Is Kevin Biggio going there? See, I like him a lot at first. I I really do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rowdy Tellez hit 23 home runs last year or something along those lines. He's either hitting a home run or striking out in a curveball in the dirt. Oh, fuck. So is every third player in the MLB these days. Cody Bellinger does that. And where's where's a guy like Kendris Morales now? Who did the exact same fucking thing? He was also what thirty eight years old and retired. Come on, bro. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? It's fucking a curveball in the dirt. He's not touching a curveball or anything with movement. He isn't touching, and I mean Rowdy Telez. If it's a fastball right down the fucking cock, he's taking it four hundred and fifty feet, and that's it. He's not even hitting the wall. He's not even like dick slapping the other way for shits and giggles. He's either hitting a bomb or he's out. That's it. So I don't think Rowdy Telez, and I've said this before, I don't think Rowdy Telez should be a major league baseball player. Did Kevin even play first base last year? I feel like you're fabricating yep. that. Okay, nope. okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go back on baseballreference.com. While I do that, let's do this. We'll tee it up. We talked a bunch of baseball. Kyle Pouncey actually, as a matter of fact, the next time we bring him on, we're going to talk about him as a two-sport athlete. Walked on to the Northland College Lumberjacks baseball squad after a bunch of time playing for the hockey team, and that's where we're going next on the Breakdown Pod. Watch the breakdown. All right, join now on the Breakdown Podcast, hopefully for the first of many appearances. It is Kyle Pouncey of the Wichita Thunder in the East Coast Hockey League right now. A lifelong friend of mine and uh, somebody who has been directly impacted by, as the rest of us has, the COVID-19 pandemic. So, Kyle, thanks for taking some time. Oh, thanks for having me, boys. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I know... uh, you and uh, Brett and I have had the pleasure of hanging out up in the uh, the northern part of, of the province where you're in the southern part right now down in Calgary and sort of the, the halfway house between coming home from uh, the, the EC and, and heading back home to Kamloops. But uh, yeah, pleased to have you here. Wish it was under better circumstances, of course. Just talk a little bit about your your last well week week and a half. How long have we all been quarantined, boys? 
<laughs> well, it's been a journey. Holy smokes. I mean, obviously for like anyone, it happened just so fast and kind of the last week for me has just been traveling. I mean, right now I'm still technically in school and I got to get schoolwork done. And I mean, obviously they've been accommodating, but basically once the news was set in stone, it was like, Hey, get home as soon as you can. And for me, I had to make the stop at school first. And luckily enough for me, one of my roommates was still there and I got to tag along with him all the way back, back home to the great white North. And the rest has just been a lot of, a lot of nothing, if that makes sense. So let's, let's tease this uh, quickly by saying, I mean, you had your first four professional hockey games uh, right at the end of this East coast hockey league season, it gets cut short, but prior to that, NCAA Division Three Northland College Lumberjack for four seasons. Prior to that, a stint in Canadian Junior A. Um, just walk us a little bit through your career uh, coming out of the Kamloops Minor Hockey Program. Well, it's definitely not been a traditional one. Um, you know, I've I've touched down in a lot of strange places, a lot of small towns. Uh, um, like I said, it's it's been unique, but it's taught me a lot. I mean, I you know I. I attribute to every you know place I've been is definitely attributed to my you know my success beyond I guess um, playing in playing in junior A in the little small town in Ontario uh, Dryden was a big learning experience. I mean I was a couple of provinces away from from home and uh, I mean learned a lot there. Two big seasons and then that's Chris Pronger territory over there, right? <laughs> you should see there's like Chris Pronger pretty much everything there. Um, yeah, he's obviously the face of that place. That's their kind of claim to fame. Uh, fun fact, it's actually the smallest city in Canada, if that makes sense. Smallest really? city, as classified yeah. as a city. Yeah. Oh, exactly. incredible. Yeah, so there you go, a little fun fact there. But yeah, I mean, I had an ex- amazing experience there, just the community, the small town, knit, like the tight-knit community was just phenomenal, great people. I mean, I spent the summer there last year, so it just kind of shows uh, the people and, you know, the kind of people they have there. And that's going to be important at that age, especially for you, Steph. It wasn't your first step away from home necessarily, but it was a big leap for you at a pretty young age to go there. Absolutely. The best way to describe it is literally a leap of faith. Like it was tough for me to leave the first junior team that I was on in, uh, in Columbia Valley there in junior B. Um, I loved it there and it was so hard to leave and kind of the unknown. Right. And I got kind of convinced and, it took a while to get used to, but once I kind of settled in and like I said, there's almost the people there that kind of kept me going. Um, and I really wasn't planning on staying there for two years. And first year was so good that I had to, had to go for my last year, my 20 year old year. And it, it kind of it paid dividends obviously. So, um, that was, I mean, I, that place has got a special place in my heart. There's no doubt. So once you, once you kind of hit, in college hockey, especially in NCAA, what's what, what's the kind of life like as a, a college hockey player in in the NCAA Div Three, right? Because I feel like that's kind of a, a different type of feel from a school like I guess a Boston College, where uh, I mean a little bit more. I, I, I don't know. Let's uh, let, let's point. clarify this too. I'll step in here and say that there is no Division Two hockey. It goes Division One, yeah. Division Three, right? So this is like this the second tiering, I suppose, collegiately, right, Hank? Right. No. It's, yeah, and I know exactly where Brett's kind of going with this, um, and it is different. I think obviously, like I think they pride themselves on school first, um, and obviously when you look at it from all the other sports perspectives. A lot of those people, like since there's Div 1, Div 2, Div 3 for soccer, you know, baseball, all those, like kind of Div 3. I mean, obviously people still are passionate about the sport, but school kind of gets that front. School's first and foremost, whereas I guess for us, like majority of the guys that are on our team went there for hockey. That's kind of, so it kind of hockey is always like a little bit ahead for us, even though like most of us, you know, we're just kind of hoping for the best. We don't really know if pro's an option or if there is going to be anything after school. So school is definitely the priority. Exactly. And so like, I guess from the life, from that aspect, how, how is the daily life for, for uh, a college hockey player in that aspect? Tactic. It's, it's time management. I mean, just like anyone else. Um, But, you know, depending on the team and stuff like that, I mean, you have your, you got your classes, you got your workout, you got your team videos and, yeah, your games on the weekend that you got to prepare for 
Um, obviously there's limited games during the week, which helps, um, you know, Friday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday is kind of what you usually see. So that helps the cause. But I mean, Sundays are usually attributed to homework because there's not a lot of time to do it elsewhere. Really. Um, it's not, it's not as bad. I mean, it, like I said, time management's everything. Once you kind of get behind, it's real tough to get back. But if you can stay on top of it, I mean, that could be, and I was lucky enough to go to a extremely small school. Like I'm telling you like 600, 700 students, which is wow. tiny, right. Like tiny, tiny. So yeah. I had, I was in the business, um, uh, the business department and, I mean, I'd say 90% of our team was in that on the business department. So I had a ton of classes with guys and we could kind of feed off each other. And that was the bonus of such a small school. So obviously when you, you think of the traditional student athlete NCAA life, as you were sort of alluding to earlier, Brett, I mean, that's, that's not the experience that you're getting in, in a place like Ashland, Wisconsin. Um, so did that, do you think in any way that that helped you focus and, and really dig into school as well? Not a lot of the peripheral distractions. Absolutely. I say that all the time. Like, you know, when people even ask about or you have recruits on campus or whatever, and I'm like, well, depends what you're looking for, right? Depends what you want your college experience to be. I think in Canada, you always hear like the American college experience crazy, right? Like, you know, the big schools, the parties, all this kind of stuff. Whereas here, that's just not a thing where I went to school, right? So, and I say it all the time, I'm very lucky kind of the position that I was in um, to be able to focus on school. I got the best grades I've ever gotten, you know, compared to compared to high school, right? Stuff like that, where I was just able to dial in and even the hockey side of things, right? You can kind of, like you said, just the little things, right? Like not going out every night or, you know, you don't have all those other things where you can really focus on taking care of your body and taking care of your schoolwork, which kind of leads you in the right direction. So after the four years that you played, um, you signed with Wichita, um, but out of you still have the schooling, as you mentioned, you still have your schooling right now, even though school's not or really anything's really going on right now. But uh, so what's schooling like once you you hit Wichita, hit the ECHL? What how does that kind of change for you? It changes because I come back to the, the small school aspect. So our school kind of prides itself on attendance and participation in classes, whereas like the big schools where you got, I never experienced a big school, but I assume the big conference room or whatever, where you don't talk to really your teacher one-on-one, whereas like around school is almost like a high school environment where you're talking to your teacher face-to-face, they know your name, you know, that kind of thing. So they really pride themselves on participation points, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of got ripped away when I left and it's kind of something that you can't replace. Um, So basically I knew when I was leaving that I was going to have basically some kind of repercussions in a way um, that came with it. Like there, you know, there wasn't, they were still accommodating, but there was going to be, there was going to be stipulations kind of to that. And I knew that going into it. Um, And so in a way, the silver lining of our season coming up short is that everyone is kind of on this online thing that I'm doing right now which so I kind of don't lose those points now which I would have so there's about a two-week threshold that I was that I missed where I kind of lost points that I can't get back if that makes kind of some sense um so it was a bit of an adjustment for school for sure but a lot of the stuff like for business like you don't have labs where you would have that in science classes right so that was huge it wasn't as bad of a transition as some degrees really would have been so well, I think it's, you know, you've put in a lot of work over the last four years, obviously, and, and are at the final stages of things. But it's nice that the focus hasn't really shifted away to, hey, now I'm a professional hockey player, right? I think there's still a level of humbleness in you, which which has kept you hungry. And I really believe has been a big element in following your career um, in, in where you are. You never take anything for granted, right? You, you put your, your nose to the grindstone. So you get to see it all pay off this year and you get to look into an ECHL building. I mean, just take me into even before you step foot in the state of Kansas, Dorothy, what was it like when the phone rang or vice versa, when you made that call to the coach, whatever happened and you're going to sign a contract with the pro team? Yeah. I mean, it was extremely surreal. It really was. I mean, obviously this was kind of always the goal, but you just never know where life's going to take you. Right. I mean, you shoot, shoot for the stars and it sounds cliche, but it kind of, it was basically a dream come true when it happened for me. I mean, 
I was always an Oilers fan growing up, affiliated to them. Like it was kind of a storybook for me in a little bit of a way. So I almost thought it was a hoax when I saw it online. It was too good to be true. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm sure a lot of people kind of thought the same thing. Like, where's this guy been? All of a sudden, what the heck? You know what I mean? So it was extremely surreal and it didn't really set in. I mean, it never really set in until maybe I stepped on the ice for the first time in a game. Um, That's when kind of, but I mean, the nerves and the anticipation for that moment were obviously through the roof, excitement, just a lot of feelings, um, not wanting to, you know, let anyone down and that kind of stuff. Um, so it was, it was nice to get those first games out of the way. Cause it was a lot of nerves being the new guy, so many new things. I'd been at a school for four years where everything was kind of, you know, concrete and the same and very comfortable. So it was a lot of new and that's never obviously easy at the time, but that's how you grow, I guess. Um, but it was just super, super cool experience. I mean, I went from going playing in front of maybe 200 fans on average to, I think our first home game was 11,000. So it was just, you know, I go out on the ice and you look around and it's kind of like I had to put myself in a mental bubble and put all that aside. And that was the best way to go about it. You know, it's like tough to almost soak it all in because if you did, it kind of, your focus kind of went away. So, um, it was extremely, extremely cool experience that I'm so lucky to have. And, and that's when it comes back to, I'm so lucky in a way that our season ended when it did. So I even had the chance because there's teams still playing in our, in our conference where guys who were seniors maybe didn't have that chance to go up and get some games. So that's, you know, again, another silver lining of this all. So I was very, very fortunate. So how is the ECHL game different and, and how did you kind of, you know, transition into that. Cause you can watch a uh, hundred ACHL games and think you get it, but you don't, right. It's a totally different beast in, in regards to the type of hockey that you play. Right. Absolutely. I mean, obviously it was a big jump up just on paper. Like you playing against guys that have resumes that I've never seen before. Um, it's people have asked me this question a lot, kind of how the, the transition was and, what was the big difference? Because really, I went into it not knowing if I was going to get embarrassed. Like, it came down to that, right? Like, you want to believe in yourself that you're capable, but you just don't know. Um, so, it was, it's it's hard to explain. It was definitely, the best way I described it to people was, with the puck, it becomes almost a little bit easier because everyone's in the right place at the right time. And, you know what I mean? In that kind of aspect. Whereas, without the puck, you got these these fours, these guys that have a ton of talent, ton of speed, they're all big, you know, there's really no attributes that they lack. Um, so the bending becomes a lot, a lot harder, a lot more effort. Uh, you gotta be really careful cause it's kind of like one mistake and it can cost you just like that. It's hard to recover. Um, but at the end of the day, it's hockey, you know, it's, it was, it was a big change for sure, but you know, it was, it was doable and that was kind of nice to see. It was very reassuring for me to, you know, to know that I could, could hang with those guys and you know and be able to do it so hopefully i can kind of take that in the next season and hopefully that opportunity kind of keeps presenting itself so it's so interesting yeah. seeing the route that you've taken and, and you sort of described how unique it was and yet there's a lot of guys playing in the same level as you now that were major scorers at the whl level uh you know the step up from junior a uh so number one i mean it's great to see that genuinely there there are so many different paths that you can take to professional hockey uh whether that's here in north america or 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 europe but have you have you had a chance now to sit back and reflect? I know you had four games uh, with the Thunder. And just reflect on where you're at in your career right now, and and how you're just on a different level than than I think a lot of people might have pegged ten years ago. Let's say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, like like I said at the start, it's kind of everyone's dream to play at the highest level, but you never really know what's what's attainable, especially where I was playing. Right, I was almost. When I played my first year junior, it was kind of just because I didn't know what I wanted to do with life. I was like, well, I like hockey. I'll keep playing as long as I possibly can. I'll play it all my junior years, no matter how many people say, oh, that's kind of a weird thing to do. Like, you should be going to school, right? If you're not playing at the, you know, at higher, like major junior, that kind of stuff, right? And I just kind of kept taking it step by step. And then, you know, NCAA presented itself, small school. We're not, you know, a very well-known school for even D3, Um you know, I kind of took a shot in the dark there and 
took it four years, just year by year, trying to get better. And, and then, you know, I was hoping I'd just get a stint, whether it was, you know, whether it was that level pro or a lower level, you just don't know. And I just kind of, you know, sometimes things don't fall into place and it's, it's one thing that's still, I, it's still, I don't think has set in a little bit. I think it'll take a little bit more time, but, um, right now I'm just super grateful I had the chance, but at the same time, you don't want to sit back and kind of, um, be like, Oh, I made it. And that's it. You know, you kind of want to go, okay, now I made it. You know what it's all about. Now I don't want to leave that spot. You know what I mean? You kind of got a taste and now you want to keep it going. So I definitely want to sit back and let it, you know, give myself a pat on the back a little bit throughout this whole thing. Cause it's been a long journey that, like I said, more than likely shouldn't have worked out, but for some reason it did pretty happy about it for sure so we are obviously right now in a pretty peculiar situation i don't even i can't announce pronounce that word or pronounce pronounce either apparently um but we're <laughs> watch we're the breakdown <laughs> we're all in kind of a, an odd situation with this COVID 19 and uh you were in an even more interesting situation in Wichita um, with just being an athlete, right? So kind of talk, talk us through um, how you found out what was kind of going through your mind and, and when everything kind of started falling into place here. Yeah, it's actually kind of a weird story because um, life kind of seemed fairly normal. Um, we were on a long trip so we had just kind of started a road trip we played two games saturday sunday then we had to drive i think it was about like 10 hours plus to fort wayne and we had a game on the wednesday so we've been practicing and getting ready for that game like any other day you know we kind of hear the rumblings of the coronavirus but you know it was the early rumblings and didn't seem like we were going to be too affected by it right and then it was uh game day wednesday and i was actually out of the lineup and so I was hanging out with the other guys who were out of the lineup. I think we we're in the hot tub and we're kind of just talking and we're kind of on social media and we're like, wow, like this coronavirus thing is getting a little bit more serious than we thought. Like, I don't know exactly what it was at the time, but things started popping up and we're like, man, this is, this is a little bit scary. Like we were, you know, felt still comfortable, but we, it was in our minds for sure. And then, so the game kind of comes along, guys are on the ice, more things are popping up on social media. I think it was the same day when, you got to remind me the name of the guy in the NBA and first guy. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. There you go. There you count on you guys. Um, so he got it and the NBA instantly canceled their season. And we're in my head, I'm like, well, all of us were like, man, like that's the NBA. Like that's, that's a big deal. Like if the NBA is canceling, like there's, I'm assuming the rest of you guys else is going to cancel. Um, so that was a big red flag. And then we'd also, the funny thing was, was another team in our, in our league, I think it was Toledo. We were really close to Iowa. I can't remember where Fort Wayne, what state that is, but it was a neighboring state. Oh, um, that's Indiana, I believe. Ohio. Sorry, my bad. Ohio. And that's where Toledo is. And they were playing in front of no fans and we were playing there, I think Saturday. So we we're kind of laughing at the thought like, man, we won't, we won't be playing in front of fans on Saturday night. Like that's strange. But anyways, the night progresses, and after the game, basically, it was that was the topic of discussion. Like, um, like, are we going to be? We might be done here. Like, we don't know, right? We might be able to play this last weekend, and and maybe that's it. But so the next day, we had kind of a team meeting scheduled, and and we all showed up, and coach kind of let out the news, like, yeah, we're suspended for right now, and so we went out and kind of had a fun skate because we figured it was going to be the last one. It seemed like so. Right after well, that. Sorry, what's kind of the feel in that locker room at that time when you kind of get that news? Because I, I don't imagine it's a very fun one. Yeah, no. we we were in the press box, if I may interject here just for a second. We we're in the press box because the Oilers were playing the Jets that night in Edmonton. So we kind of got word of the Rudy Gobert thing. And then the whole mood of the building, nobody was really cheering. Even in the press box, there wasn't a lot of excitement. The game on the ice was secondary. So I can't even imagine what it was like for you guys in the locker room. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was a good thing our guys on the ice didn't know, I think, at what happened during the game. So it was kind of more of an aftermath thing. But obviously the next day, I think it all depended on the certain guy in a certain situation, right? Um, but for us, for our team, we were we were still in a playoff hunt, but we were kind of, we had to go on a tear to kind of basically make the playoffs. So um, 
I'm thinking more of like teams that were solidified in the playoffs that had, you know, been building for playoffs and stuff like that, where we weren't, we were still pushing. There was a chance, but we weren't as solidified in that spot. But I think there was still obviously a lot of disappointment um, among guys. You know, you just don't know what's, what the next season has in store for you as an individual. Um, some guys had just gotten to the team, you know, we're looking for, for more games than just one or maybe two. Um, just a lot of, it was a very, it didn't, I don't think it really sunk in at the start for guys. Cause it was just so strange, right? Like it's just something you can't prepare for. And it didn't really make sense at the time. Um, so like right away we hopped on, well, I think it was the same day at four o'clock. We were told that our bus was leaving, which is a, like a 14 hour bus trip back home. So that's when basically we we're like, this is serious. Like how do we possibly make up these games? Like we had three games scheduled. It's like, like, I don't see how this plays out and you know, put moving forward. So it was, I think disappointment for sure. And you know, just now guys are scrambling to get jobs, right? Guys who are relying on that money that comes in, um, have to find ways to, to make it work. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, the panic of just your safety and health in general comes in. It's like, well, I just want to get to a safe place back home as soon as possible so uh, i know you're you're pretty early into the league just five games of course but are they doing anything for for particularly the veteran players who might not otherwise need that secondary source of income is there you know or are they just signing up for employment insurance like everyone else you know i'm not 100 percent sure uh they're probably still working on it as we speak um they're still I believe still paychecks are coming in right now. I don't know how much longer they go on for. I really don't know enough about that to really tap, tap into it. I don't want to say anything that um, isn't, isn't true. So that's a big question mark. Obviously right now it's, it's tough because now there's no, no revenue coming in for teams. Like there's so many factors where I just don't know where you're going to pull the funds from to, to make it work. But um, that's obviously a major topic right now in every, every business everywhere, I guess. Right. So disappointing but i know people are trying to make things work and trying to help any way that you can that you know it makes sense so i guess what what kind of comes next for you and i guess uh you so what was your contract was was it a, a game by game contract or was it you know i'm still trying to learn as as i go a little bit of those things mine was a standard player contract but okay at the end of the day it still is kind of a day-to-day kind of thing it's still basically every game's a tryout, every practice is a tryout in a way. Um, right. You know, if they don't perform, you can still kind of get sent in the East Coast. Like, there's nothing kind of solidifying you in that in that spot. So that's how I at least saw it, and I still need to kind of learn more because this is also pretty new and foreign to me. So even just spending that time there talking to guys, you got to know a little bit more on how it all works and stuff like that. So that was nice because, um, yeah, I mean, I got a lot to learn, but that's kind of what it was so i'm hoping that you know next year i can get a full year in or something like that that'd be obviously ideal so how are you you, how are you staying in shape how are you staying in shape with this we asked uh we had brett's buddy a pitcher out of uh, a div three or div two ball school excuse me and you know you can't even get into a gym right now um yeah. Meanwhile, you're trying to, like you said, kind of keep this going. You've had the taste of what the pros is like and you want to be granted. Everybody's on the same playing field right now. It's not like anybody else can go to the gym and train, but this sure. has got to be a serious disruption that way. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're always looking for the edge and I guess you could look at it as the season wasn't supposed to end till you know, say a month down the road or whatever beyond that. So you kind of have this like in a way kind of free time. But at the same time, you don't want to fall back too far. So I think it's just being being cautious of what you're putting into your body as well, stuff like that, right? Just keeping your body moving. You know, you don't have to go too aggressive, I don't think, at this point. At least I'm not because it's been kind of a chaotic year in general. My body's been through a bit of the ringer. Um, so I'm definitely taking kind of a couple weeks just to, you know, just de-stress a little bit. And I think take a, take a step back. I did go for a run, away, a run today on the record. But very light one at that, just to get the body moving because I've been traveling for a week, so that was a bit painful. But um, we got to get that thing. story in. By the way, we have to get that yeah, story yeah. in. So you 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 get the the ride. The buddy's gonna drive home, and and boy, did you ever. <laughs> okay, well, I can start from the top. So I left uh, left Wichita Tuesday. Flew 
So it was Wichita, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Duluth. And for those who don't know, my school is about an hour away from Duluth, Minnesota-ish. So I always have to get basically a ride from Duluth into, into the school. There's no flight or anything that happens there. So um, my buddy, who was at the school at the time, because he was trying to figure out his internship thing, and he was actually waiting for his driver's license to come in. That's another uh, part of the story, because he had we had spring break, and he had gone home. Uh, and had to renew his license. So I was coming to the mail and he was waiting for that to come in. So anyways, so he picks me up, we go back to school and we kind of had a day to uh, grab all as much stuff as we could and say goodbye to a few people. And, and then we headed off and I think it's approximately a 20 hour drive from Ashland, Wisconsin to Calgary, Alberta, which is where we are right now. Um, and we proceeded to do that in one day. Um, <laughs> not like hey, did you guys like swab who was driving or it was against all odds my buddy went the whole distance um, starting at 6am arriving at 2.30am there's no fucking way on, yeah. on rock star <laughs> energy alone or how did everyone, that happen by the grace of God doesn't believe me. almost everyone I've told doesn't believe me and thinks it's absolutely bananas obviously and he did it off of burgers, coffee, and water. And that's that, that pretty is, much that's it. mystifying. Like the eight-hour drive wrong. between Edmonton and Kamloops kicks the shit out of me, man. Yeah. I don't know how that's humanly <laughs> possible. Just, just running off of burger grease from the States. You're just like, but fuck it, I'm doing it. Honestly, it's a machine. Like, check his pulse. I was getting close to it. It was not, not even one time was it mentioned that he need me to step in, which is remarkable. We were just bumping tunes. Like, and Should you have, I, though, do you think? Like, <laughs> at any point? Also, has he woke up since the trip? Has anyone checked on him? He might still be driving. I know. He was up earlier than me the next day. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah, it's it's something that should definitely be recognized, you know, on a, a greater scale what that guy did. Um, but I'm not surprised. He's we've done a long roadies together before, but nothing obviously that extreme. The original plan was to go halfway and he just dug deep and went distance. Yeah, I, I, I got ten more fucking hours in me. It's all good. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, you ready? Let's fucking go. Yo, yo, let's, let, let's gas up. Let's like, gas. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, give me a sugar-free Red yeah. Bull. He, like, drinks it, smashes it on his forehead. Woo! Honestly, you think hey, that's you what got he did? You got pimple? And somehow he, he did it the traditional way, right? Just with, just with coffee and water. What does he drive? What does he drive? Were you guys crammed in there? On a Civic, and we probably didn't have enough room to fit, like, literally a backpack in. That's how tight we were. I had a backpack between my legs and other than that, we had zero space of like zero for 20 so, consecutive hours. You did you flown to Australia and took a six hour nap. Yeah. <laughs> did you sleep on the right back? Me personally? Yeah. I was fighting it hard on, I think right off the hop, I was kind of nodding my head and the last three hours were real tough to stay awake for me. But I was like, you know what? I got to stay awake for this guy. He's yeah. grabbing for us. I got to find a way to stay awake, keep him company. Um, phenomenal stuff. I mean, it's, oh my it's God. against all odds, really. It's it yeah. how, long, how long did you sleep the next day? You know, I probably got to bed 3.30 by that time. And then I think I got up around 1-ish, 2 maybe. It's, yeah, yeah you, that's a slippery slope, right? You're, suddenly your whole sleep routine's reset. And, yeah, and the other thing is, is so like how much of the, the drive did you actually get to see? Like how much of it was lit? I Most think of it. Uh, I want to say around Moose Jaw area, if that makes sense. Moose Jaw. So I think that's what, probably like six hours away, six, seven, or maybe more from Calgary. I'm not sure, but that's kind of when the sun started to go down for us. And the first, I think five, six hours, it was actually really bad roads. It was kind of a bit of a snowstorm between like, Minnesota and the Dakota area because we came through North Dakota through Saskatchewan there. Mm. Um, it was bad weather there and the rest of the way was good. So I think that helped our cause. But he was taking it like hour by hour and he just, he was like, you know, well, we'll go to Medicine Hat and we'll see how I feel. And what's that, like three, three and a half? And 
once we left there, there was no turning back. So uh, yeah, yeah, like, that is, uh, that is a, we got to call Like, I don't know. Do we call a TV station? Do we call a scientist? Like, what do we do here? Everyone's <laughs> studying that guy. Yeah. No, that's it. You talk about a freak of fucking nature. All right. Uh, great. I mean, yeah. Here I am though. Alive. Quarantine. Yeah. Great to see. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to address something uh, statistical for you uh, because I've been looking at your stats today and I found something very interesting. None of your penalty minutes exceed two digits. And I think that is unbelievable. So what, what, what do you do on, on the ice <laughs> to, to be so, you know, well-mannered and, and gentlemanly? That's funny that you say that. I mean, it's hard for me to touch on that, I guess. I mean, I've never really been a confrontational, uh, aggressive human being. I think Brennan can attest to that. Um, <laughs> I did all that. I did all the, the squeaking and squawking when it needed to be done, I guess. Sure, shocker. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Now that checks out. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, it's a good question. I've just never really in the way the game's going to, you don't, I guess, have to be. So I've just kind of got on the model where I'd rather be on the ice and off the ice if I can be. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things that it's, it's hard for me to describe, I guess, but it's something I've best prided myself a little bit on. And I even argue that some of those penalty minutes weren't even mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the boys are going to get a kick out of that. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I believe in the KI, it was like, uh, I had zero penalty minutes that year. I believe, I don't know if you can check that or not, but I believe that was a record, but it was never actually inputted or anything like that. Cause I think you right. needed like 25 games or someone had like 42 and two penalty minutes, but I'm sure some, that was a while ago, obviously, but yeah. um, I, don't, I don't know. It's just been something part of my game. I don't really engage too much. And you know, if someone needs to, obviously if you need to stick up for a guy or something like that, I mean, I'd obviously be able, be willing to do that. No problem. But I'm not it's looking, it. I'm not really looking for cheap shots or trying to do stuff behind the ref. So I guess that's kind of helped my cause. And you, and you keep your stick down. Yeah, exactly. And your it's feet just, moving. I, and what's interesting to me is, I mean, like you, the production is there, but it's not like, you know, elite, you're a one dimensional offensive defenseman, right? Like you're, I. Uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding ridiculous, but certainly not a point per game player, uh, but yet not necessarily one who has to mix it up in order to be effective. I mean, look at where you're playing right now. So what can you assess in, in your own opinion, what it is about your game that's allowed you to get to where you're at? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's always tough looking at yourself, um, but I try to do, I really focus on the little things like, try to do the stuff that you, you wouldn't see on a stat sheet or you wouldn't see with the naked eye at first glance. Um, you know, like, like you touch on the penalty minutes and people go, Oh, well he's maybe not tough or he doesn't want to engage. Right. But I still, you know, I try to make up for that with going in the corners and taking a hit to make that play or blocking that shot. Um, trying to win those 50, 50 battles. I think that's where I've kind of made up for that side of the game. I think that's helped me. You know, I've, showing that I can contribute a little bit offensively. And that's really not like my main focus. Like you touched on there, it's kind of just came with it. And I think that comes with opportunity. If you get it, if you get the minutes, sometimes the points follow. And that's, I think what I've been lucky enough to have. Um, and that's just, like I said, but it comes back to the little things. They mean so much at the next level, I think. And you even notice that more when you get there, it's even more the little things that you don't even recognize. Um, every play matters. And, coaches recognize that i think i think that's the nail on the head right there and like from my hockey analyst quote-unquote perspective i think there's a level of trust that coaches have in you uh that allows you to be in those situations and and produce for them exactly the way that you're describing yeah it's obviously a lot to learn like i say just going up there and that's why i really really wanted to get up to there and experience the games because i knew i'd learn just from being there for a short amount of time kind of what it takes from guys who you I'd argue are really elite players. Um, so that was, yeah, I mean, it was perfect, perfect case scenario for me. Obviously I would have rather stayed there longer, but I'm really lucky that I got the chance to go up there and 
and go from there. We'll wrap it up quickly here. We're getting a little long in the tooth, but you're talking about some of the guys. I know uh, you played with a guy with some NHL experience in your first game. Uh, so talk about some of the guys that you've played either with or against at this point or anyone you're looking forward to playing. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, the guy you touched on, um, yeah, I think he had uh, over 100 games in the NHL, uh, first-round pick. Like, obviously, like, I'm, like, a little bit, like, starstruck, right? Like, you're like, wow, like, this guy's... This guy's What's his name? Stuff. Yeah, sorry, I never heard of him. Dylan Olson. I'm pretty oh, sure he's a Calgary boy. There we go. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a Calgary boy, and he was a great guy, a great guy to me, like, really made me feel welcome and, you know, provided himself if I had any questions or anything like that, which was just goes a long way. Right. Um, a guy who's experienced a lot of stuff, even a world junior, I believe. Um, so like he has oodles of things to kind of give to me. And the fact that I even got paired up with him for my first game was pretty surreal. And it's unfortunate he got injured that game. So we kind of got a, only got about a half a game in together, but even that amount of time, like, just tell like this guy's a great this guy's a good player like i could learn so much from him and other guys on the team too like all the guys all the d-men for me personally obviously i'm watching them a little bit more we're just great players and provided something for me to learn off of played in uh 2010 2011 with uh team canada two assists so yeah there you go cool yeah not a bad resume right there yeah, no kidding. Uh, I guess uh, as as uh, Esco mentioned here, we do want to wrap up a little bit. But uh, I, I loved listening just to the way that you described your game and how much uh, more it's about doing the small things right. And I love be, the mind behind that to be able to, to realize that. So a lot of players, I guess, really want to be the Eric Carlson types, or I guess the Brent Burns types, right? So who do you kind of model your game after in, in, in today's NHL, or who do you try and, and watch a little bit more to, to, to learn off of, uh, especially now in, that you're in pro hockey? It's a good question. I think, I don't think there's one guy that I could pick out. It'd be tough. I think it's like, there's since, you know, Carlson brings something to the table, um, you know, Drew Doughty brings some to the table that's a little different. You could go down the list of each guy as something a little bit different. So the more you watch, the better, I think. Um, one guy that kind of does stand out a little bit to me, and he's almost like he's super elite, but he's almost under the radar, is Alex Petrangelo. And I think he does so many things right and does yeah. he's cool. not he's furthest thing from one dimensional, but yet he can still put up points. Um, but he's he plays physical he did, again just does a little things right and i think that's why he's not as flashy as you know like eric carlson or drew dowdy he's kind of the, the silent like leader and he just does goes about his business and does a lot of things right and i just i mean st louis too we don't see a lot of their kind of games from where we're from but just from what i've seen obviously that that cup run i was like wow this guy has you know all the abilities in the world um as a d-man so trying to do something like him where two way, right. Reliable, trustworthy. That's definitely something I try to, I try to be. So that'd be probably the biggest, biggest guy nowadays that I model my game after. And the first guy touched the cup last year too. So there you go. Absolutely. That wouldn't be abnormal to see a letter on your chest. Kyle Pouncey of the Wichita Thunder of the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, Hope to see you guys get uh, a full kick at it next season. Um, you know, all the best. Congratulations. It's been a pleasure watching you get to where you are. We'll definitely have you back on the breakdown, and we certainly appreciate you taking the time. Thank Love you, Pounce. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Love you, buddy. Love you, boys. Watch the breakdown. It's not every day that a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. There are more captive tigers in the U.S. than there are in the wild throughout the world. They don't people are nuts, man. They're all crazy. Moving on to something else that we know well can pounce. Tiger King on Netflix. What the fuck is this shit, dude? Oh, my God. This was this is an absolute cult classic if I've ever seen one. I cannot. I couldn't get enough of this thing, man. Yeah, it's just the most bizarre depiction of the lowest depths of humanity 
that I didn't realize existed in North America. It is petty. It is smutty. It is juicy. It is wildly entertaining. And this is coming from somebody who really does not often want to give you my advice on what to watch on Netflix. I could care less what the fuck you watch on Netflix, and I'd prefer that you didn't recommend things to me. That's just how I am. But this shit's sweeping Canada for a reason. Go check it out. Absolutely. For those of you who uh, haven't caught the Tiger King fever yet, uh, what Tiger King is, it's a little uh, documentary. It's kind of, it's a crime documentary on uh, the Tiger King, Joe Exotic, who you may have heard of before. If you have, I am concerned about uh, your hobbies. But <laughs> nonetheless, I, I don't I promise I don't judge um, Joe Exotic, who uh is kind of caught up in this weird ring slash industry of exotic animals and showing them off. And he's constantly in this war with this woman named uh, Carol Baskin, I believe is her name. Uh, She's gone by uh, a couple other names, as you'll find out in um, the show as well as um, it's kind of just a war between the two of them that just comes to a head and you just get introduced to so many different I can't stress this enough. Characters. Oh, yeah. Like fucking underscore and bold that like it's I can't let, let's let's break this down from just like a TV perspective, because I know we just spent two years studying this. Um, can you imagine being a documentarian and thinking that you're going to do an expose on this park where you can see exotic animals. And yeah, that's kind of a head scratching thing on the surface. Why are there more tigers in captivity in the United States than in the entire rest of the world combined? And I'm not talking in captivity. I'm talking in the wild. I believe that's, that's what it is. So they see it as this conservation effort and they're breeding these exotic cats and even crossbreeding them in some cases, uh, yeah, a liger does exist, apparently. Um, but it's just phenomenal the amount of money that is in this industry that these and, – and, and I will underscore this as well. These, like, country bumpkins, these Mountain Dew people are raking in with these – it's like a zoo. It's like an underground zoo. It's it is literally an underground zoo. Yeah, and they're literally swimming in millions of dollars. There's a one guy, a Doc Antle, whose house you go into, and it's like it's low key kind of your dream house because there's just so much space. There's so much space, and you're like, how do you? Uh, uh, we haven't even got into the crimes yet. We're just talking about the lives these guys. Uh, well, live. and I don't know if we even. Yeah, yeah. People binge shit. So just whatever. Fast forward or or catch this after you've seen the completion of the series, which at this point, at the point of recording, I have not yet. But I do want to talk about some of the stuff that's already happened. So apologies. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I finished it about an hour and a half ago. And like I just I, I would stop watching it and then I'd like go back and be like, I got to watch more. It's like my own little crack. But like Joe Exotic is such a character, man. Just everything has to be a show. Everything. Everything. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the whole way that the farm is set up, I mean, it's 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 all like he wants to be the star of the series of his life, literally to the point where he bought a pretty high-functioning setup to, to run his own TV station out of his weird uh, ranch thing that he owns with all these fucking tigers. So basically, that I is, mean, should that's I just so stop funny. there? That, that is enough. That has to be enough to say, wait a minute. This guy is so enamored with his own opinions and views and, and has so much disposable income. He built his own TV station. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. Like the, the, like the Kirkham guy, who's the first guy brought in to, to do this reality show with Joe exotic and run his little, uh, his little, uh, internet show. Like he's so, if you've been in the industry, he's like as industrial as you can get. Basically, he's he's the industry put in a person, this Kirkham guy. But it's just he's so he doesn't know what to do with them. 
He does not know what to do with this Joe exotic guy who's just running this show and just thinks um, he's the he's it's his world. We're all living in it. That's all he thinks about. But the one thing I do want to mention, too, is how is everyone just banging everybody? How does everybody have at least at least two plus partners everywhere? Exotic Joe has more husbands then Exotic Joe's husband does teeth. <laughs> and that's a fact. <laughs> and, and we can let that sink in for another second if you need. Sure. I'll wait. <laughs> I can't. We, we are dealing with the bottom of the barrel. But the bottom of the barrel with access, again, I say to many, many millions of dollars. And that's resulting in some pretty bizarre and poor decision making. And the, the way that I would describe this show is I didn't really understand what I was getting into. And I'm three episodes in and I still I still don't. And you've got everything from crime again to smut to to characters that build on themselves to. So you're the documentarian. And you set out and you think you're going to learn about this, this zoo, this place that charges between three and six hundred dollars in the case of Doc Antle to go in and have these up close and personal encounters with exotic animals. Well, that right there. OK, we've got a documentary. But then you start listening to the way that these people talk and in particular, the way that they talk about each other. And there's so much more there. The rules of society that we all adhere to don't really apply. It's like it's not it's not even a consideration because it's just never been present in this part of the world, evidently, in these backwoods on the township roads of the southeast United States. And then if they need to take care of something, they take care of it by themselves. Do you remember, Do you know what the Waco massacre is? Do you know what, do you know what Waco was? I do know what Waco was, yes. So, the first episode of this, Waco, for those who don't know, uh, was a cult led by David Koresh, a guy who named himself David Koresh. Uh, he had a big following down in Texas at this, this I can't remember, it was the uh, Branch Davidians is what they called themselves, but it was this compound where they governed themselves, they ran by their own rules. And a lot of bad shit was going on, the FBI goes to raid it, and the raid ended up taking, I believe it, it definitely started on February 28th, and then it, it went on for like weeks on end. I don't think it wrapped up until April or something along those lines because these people were holed up threatening violence against the feds. Um, and I kind of got the sense that that's exactly the depths that Joe Exotic would go to if anybody tried to enforce rules that he felt were inappropriate anywhere near his land. And, and that part of him kind of builds up to where, okay, now we're wondering if he's actually going to act on something a little bit more serious. Specifically on Carol Baskin, too. They're, the entire thing is just how, how much Joe hates Carol and how Carol has always come after him. And to be honest, Carol's a bitch. Carol is a bitch. Carol scares me. Carol is as manipulative and sociopathic a person I think I've ever seen. Just the gleeful, witty, whimsical, cavalier attitude with which she talks about the disappearance of her ex-husband. It's chilling. It's chilling oh. shit. It's so infuriating because she's just talking about, uh, yeah, on the day he disappeared, the last thing he said to me was, make sure so-and-so gets the truck because I'm leaving for Miami early, 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 early in the morning. It's like, hey, uh, he's dead. He's dead. Why don't you go? He, yeah, the last thing he's – she says it's so, like, gleefully and it's almost, almost scripted. Almost scripted. Well, I that, do that's honestly just think it, right? It's like she she's portraying or playing a role inside her own head in a movie, again, that she's starring in, and and she's the innocent one. Yeah, and, and the reason why I started watching it, this was because I saw a meme of um, – this saying, oh, I think Carol Burnett or Baskin did this, right? Which really got me. I was like, ah, all right, I guess if I'm going to see these everywhere, I should probably start watching it, right? Um, 
Yeah, I think I think. I, okay, I'm going to spoil it just because it's going to be out there anyways. But uh, essentially, Carol's husband gets or it dies, and then it's very very suspicious, and everyone assumes that not only did Carol kill him, but feeds him to their tigers, to their great tigers. And, and, and listen, if you're sitting there and you, you maybe you haven't watched this yet and you're getting the breakdown of it here on the breakdown pod and you're thinking to yourself, OK, Brett, OK, Brendan, how many tigers exactly are we talking here? Is it four? No, nope. it's not four tigers. Is it 50? It's not nope. 50 tigers. It's not 50 tigers either. <laughs> I think they were up over 180 of a particular, like, just tigers. Just tigers. Then yeah. they had other animals. Like, yeah, uh, Joe. Doc Antler rides in on an elephant when he does, like, like, like king of the fucking jungle. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Exotic has 227 big cats, he says. Tigers. <laughs> big old tigers. I like tigers. Tigers like me too. You just gotta like treat them with a little bit of love, and then they purr back at you. Yeah, sure, shit, sure, it could bite your head off, but it don't if you treat it a little nice. All right. <laughs> I, I can't come back from that. that. Uh, no, there's there's no, no way. Let you bask. Uh, yeah. So there you go. There's a breakdown, uh, right now of where we're at with Tiger King. If you've been wondering another funny anecdote about this, just as a quick aside, Brian Burke was on my radio show this afternoon. And that was one of the things that he brought up as to what he's been doing to kill all this time when he's not watching sports. He he said he watched one episode poppy and he sat down at the kitchen table and finished the series. <laughs> Brian Burke. I can imagine Burke Joe's just stoic. sitting there, just going, "Oh, yeah, fucking Joe." <laughs> oh, you know, he he was just so he was so perplexed is the way that I would describe Burke's reaction. So you can imagine what was going through his mind sitting there at the Burke household kitchen table. Um, love hearing what he has to say about anything, but that was funny in particular. And I I just bet he loves tigers too. I bet he's just sitting there going, ooh, kitty. Ooh, big kitty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just feel no, like the doubtful. one thing that would bring doubtful. Brian Burke back to Earth would be cats. And I think he's a bigger softy than he leads on, lets on, leads us to believe. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Let's leave her there, partner. Yeah, let's do it. Go watch Tiger King. We are on Apple Podcasts. If you're not currently listening to us on that platform, I suggest you make the switch. If you are listening on an Android device, a device, well, mate, device, device, you better make sure that you subscribe to us on Spotify. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, I'd recommend you do the same. I don't. That where changed. are we going with the? I'd, I was dropped. Going Australian. I was dropped Irish. when I was a kid. Uh, bottom line here, we're super excited about the new platforms we're on. We need and appreciate all your love and support at this point. And right now, what we need most is for you to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Would really appreciate that from you. That'll get our algorithm up. It'll make us more popular. We can do more content, make some money, turn this into a day job, and make the breakdown the best part of the day that you live. Watch the breakdown.